Hello again. Welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind. This is a weekly podcast or virtual church classroom study presented each week by yours truly, Pastor Dan, on behalf of the people of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. Today's lesson is Living the Christian Life. Living the Christian Life. It is broadcast originally on uh, January the 19th. 2018, January 19th, 2018, and uh, it is altogether appropriate that we should begin with prayer. Almighty God, today we come before you as always with our hearts and minds open to receive the content of your heart and mind. As unbelievable as that sounds, we believe that it can be so because you've made it so through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we invite your Holy Spirit to witness to us now so that we might know you so well that we become more like you every day. These understandings that we gain from doctrine are teachings of the church which you ordained. And yet, without your Holy Spirit, they're just traditions. And so, Lord, make these truths speak to our hearts and be expressed through our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This week's key scripture is Luke 9, verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, If anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And our key hymn this week is verse 1 of, O Master, let me walk with thee. The words are, O Master, let me walk with thee. In lowly paths of service free, tell me thy secret, help me bear the strain of toil, the fret of care. This week, I have Bethany talking with me again, and I'm excited about that because it just seems to make this podcast a whole lot better for obvious reasons. And so, uh, uh, Bethany, welcome again. Thank you. This week, we're talking uh, about Lesson 24, Living the Christian Life or Discipleship, and uh, this week... uh, the the scriptures have kind of steered us in the direction of of uh, kind of recognizing the difference between a righteous life, the way you lived it under the old covenant, and the way you live it under the new covenant. So, um, when you think about discipleship, what does that call to mind? What's the first thing that comes to mind when we think of Christian discipleship? Uh, well, I guess that when I think about Christian discipleship, I think about doing as Jesus does. 
Yeah. Because, you know, like, disciples follow Jesus and did what he did or tried to do what he did. Right. I mean, a disciple, by definition, is is someone who who follows another, you know, that you could be... Um, if you're a particular devotee of a certain scholar or a certain politician, or you know, it's it's a stretch, but it's essentially the same concept. You're you're a disciple. You're trying to imitate the one that you want to be like. Right, and I mean, by the very word, it's also of like. There's a reason that discipline and disciple are similar words. So it's not just a person necessarily, I guess, but an ideology or, you know, like you can be a yogi and that's kind of like being a disciple of yoga. Um, oh, you mean it doesn't have anything to do with the bear? No, I guess not. I, I, <laughs> well, you know, there's probably people who don't know that yogi was a bear and he had a little sidekick or a disciple named Boo Boo. Yes. <laughs> but at Jellystone Park even. But apparently that's not what we're talking about. No. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the only problem with having somebody to bounce off with that gives me an opportunity to make silly jokes. But I know, and I'm really not a great person for that because I'll roll right with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so when we talk about living the Christian life, we mean then that we're disciples of Jesus. So a Christian life uh, in its purest form is living in the imitation of Jesus. Right. Okay. So, what is it about the Christian discipleship that is different, let's say, from, from following a particular uh, other religion or, or other, you know, like you mentioned a yogi or something? But, you know, what, what is the, uh, what do you think is a unique particular quality of Christian discipleship? I think for me, it always comes down to the fact that we, it always comes down to love. And I I feel like probably people who practice some of the other major religions would argue with me about that. But I just feel like the Christian faith really emphasizes love for all. I mean, that's like, you know, Jesus's number one and two things both have to do with love. So, yeah, you know, like well, it's not chapter and first go ahead. That's just about love. Yeah. I mean, so. it's not going to be a popular thing for for us to talk about in an open public forum. And I know this is kind of but but if you stop and think about the differences between at least the radical forms of Islam and Christianity, the the uh, or uh, to put it another way, in our present culture, uh, it's dangerous to say anything that would offend someone of the Muslim faith, especially those who are particularly radical in their expression of the faith. So heaven forbid that you would ever say anything about uh, Allah or say anything especially about Muhammad the prophet or anything because it's too easy to... uh, invoke their wrath and end up, you know, having some terrible thing happen to you. And, and yet people take pot shots at Christians all the time. Mm -hmm. And, 
some people will say, well, that's because Christianity is under attack in our country and everything. And that may be true. But in reality, the thing that Christians are best known for is the very thing that makes them easy targets. Is that a fair yeah. assumption? Yeah, I, th- I was actually about to say something similar. So. Yeah. Well, uh, sorry I interrupted you. I it, so. I mean, the, I was going to say that bouncing off what you were saying. It's... Uh huh. Yeah. So so uh, as we get into to Dr. Callis's uh, instruction, basically, what he would steer us towards is recognizing that uh, the essential understanding of Christian living is that it is uh, Bible based, mm-hmm. and that therefore we are not. Uh, living in a way that is exclusive of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, but we're also not under that covenant anymore because we're under a New Testament or New Covenant that is made by Jesus. So when you think about Old Testament living, and I know you're pretty well read, so you can just speak right up about it. What what do you think people did to... to, uh, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, what, what, I don't want to say discipleship necessarily, but if you want to be considered a righteous Jew in the pre-New Testament period, um, how was that expressed right up till Jesus's time? Um, well, I think like following the law, like, like the law, like Moses law, not just like law. Right. Um, and, like sacrifices and making sure that you were clean and like following, I guess being very regimented and following those things. There was like, there was definitely a do this, do this, do this, do this kind of thing. And that was how you were righteous. Yeah. Things and you probably weren't. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to encourage myself to to like bash the Old Testament Jews. That's not what we're driving at here. But but you know, they did take basically the law of Moses and then uh, extrapolate another six hundred and something laws from it. You know, right. and and it was not uh, you know it wasn't arrogance right away or anything like that. It was just that. You know, they they kept asking their elders, you know, well, how do we know whether we're living according to the law or not? You know, Moses says you can't do this, but what about when this happens? You know, and and so they evolved this whole tradition that 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 causes them to to create, you know, hundreds of more specific, detailed uh, expressions of the law. And by the time of Jesus, um you know, they've got this whole rather complex system that requires, uh, you know, a a battery of of lawyers. Yeah, you know, to put it another way, I when I was growing up um, in the Catholic Church, um, there were priests that, and I mean, they still have them, but I didn't, you know, 
I am not aware of it now as much as I was then, but but in the Catholic Church, you have priests that are actually canon lawyers. I mean, they're their job is to interpret church law and and even argue for or against, you know, in, in interpreting pretty much the same way someone might go to argue before the Supreme Court or or uh, an appellate court or something. You know, it, it's really kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, the rabbis, especially the most highly uh, revered rabbis, were those who interpreted the law in a way that seemed to meet most of the people's needs. And and I tend to think that that was all very loving and gracious, and I, and, and I don't want to, to bash them. But by the time Jesus comes along and preaches the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he's basically saying, guys, you've gone too far, <laughs> you know. didn't know the kiss rule. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Learned when I was writing papers in college, so I guess they just didn't know that because they, you know, they they kept, like you said, they kept extrapolating and making it bigger and bigger. And then Jesus comes along, and he's like, "Guys, it's like this: love God, love each other." Yeah. I mean, obviously, he expanded on that, but yeah, he brought it back down to well, what he called the I, heart of the law. Yeah, and I guess like. Going back to the whole, like, what's different that, like, that's what I would come back to as far as differences in religions, too, is, like, we have, the difference for Christians is that we have two covenants. We have the old covenant that kind of sometimes does look more similar to, like you were saying, like, some of the things you read about with Islam, there are things in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant that some like, you know, I like listening to the Bible in the morning and sometimes I'm getting ready and I stop and kind of make a face and I'm like, oh, that happened. Mm-hmm. So, but, but we like the difference for Christians is we have this new covenant that is just, it's about love. And it totally, you know, Jesus stepped into that role as the sacrifice and that makes all the difference. And I guess that, is what separates our discipleship too for me. Yeah. It's because we have that new one. So to interpret the doctrine of discipleship, probably one of the things we have to do is is a little theological and scriptural interpretation. So the nature of the human relationship with God in the Old Testament has basically a few phases, right? So what was the first phase? Um, Eden. Right. Okay. And uh, yeah, I know I'm I'm setting you up here because you know I'm hoping <laughs> you catch what I'm throwing, but but uh so the first phase of, of the human relationship with God is is a very personal and intimate one, right? They yeah. they're naked and they don't even know it. Now that's could be literal or figurative or both. It doesn't really matter. The fact is, is they feel as though they have no reason not to be fully exposed before God, uh, spiritually and materially. They they just they can be in God's presence without reservation. And then sin comes, and now they're not so comfortable being exposed before God. Now all of a sudden, 
there's something about them that they're pretty sure will repulse God. And in a sense, it does, right? Yeah. So that's why they end up being cast out of God's presence or out of Eden. And from then forward, God has what seems like a pretty intimate relationship with at least some people pretty much all the time. It may not be universal, but there's definitely yeah. an interaction going on between God and, and well, but we know between God and Cain and Abel because there's that whole story of their sacrifices, and then there's this interaction between God and and uh, uh, Abel's or, or Cain's descendants, and then there's this interaction between God and Noah, and, you know, so there's this kind of ongoing relationship described in Scripture between God and certain people, but but after Eden, their relationship is pretty much characterized by a, uh, you know, God-initiated interaction on God's terms whenever God wants it to happen, and for whatever purpose God has in mind, right? So... Uh, still there? Okay. You got quiet. I was just thinking and everything you were saying. Okay. All right. Well, I was afraid maybe we had a breakdown because I heard a little scratchy noise. Well, sorry, folks. Uh, well, I had to plug my phone in. That's how it was going. So that was scratchy. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So our good listeners are just realizing that we're we're not perfect with this technology, but. Having fun just the same. So, um, so basically, I'm. I mean, you know, I could do this all night, and then you wouldn't have much to say. So I don't want to do that. But, but the idea that I'm driving at is, is that in the Old Testament, you have these phases of relationships with God, right? You. So the second phase is, is God initiates it, and and. There's no really human response other than obedience. I mean, you know, if, if if God says, Abraham, I want you to go, then he goes. If God says, uh, you know, Isaac, do this or whatever. So, so it's all kind of God-initiated, and the human response is basically just to answer. So is that the second phase, or is that more like a third phase? Because I feel like there's a second phase, like, are doing the exact opposite of that. Like where there's not obedience at all. Well, I mean, of course the Bible doesn't really, like. it sort of tells us that. I mean, like in the case of Jacob and Esau or Ishmael and, and his mom, uh, uh, Hagar, the slave and and you know, there's they're not like in opposition to God, but God has a relationship with them even if it's to say you're out of line, you know. Like, like more like the flood and stuff, because that was the whole point was that people were not doing right. Like Noah was the only one. I know, like I know you mentioned that, but I just keep thinking like before there was mostly obedience, it was mostly disobedience and like one thing. Yeah. So, so I guess what I'm driving at is that. Up to a point, you know, you try to do right by God, and it doesn't seem like there are specific terms for a right relationship with God. Then Moses comes along, and God lays out a specific plan 
for this is how it's going to work between us. And then the plan involves learn the rules, and then when we go into the promised land, we're going to establish this theocracy. We're going to establish this this nation, kingdom, whatever you want to call it, that operates according to my rules. And, and that's the plan. Um, and surely God knows that's not going to work, but go ahead. Then there are like three books that are just about all the rules. Right, right. And so in church, we're studying Joshua right now, and one of the things we're seeing is, is when the right guy's in charge and the people are in the right frame of mind, things look pretty positive, but then we'll find out that eventually they screw it up again. But they have a set of rules, at least, that they can gauge by. And so the one thing that's different, so this would be like phase two of the Old Testament, is that under the Old Testament phase two, there's an understanding that people have a set of rules they're supposed to live by. And if something bad happens, they at least know why, you know, that, that there's, because we also see at least it's implied in the scripture that, that uh, God is absent more frequently after they get out of the promise or into the promised land and out of the wandering in the wilderness. Yeah. So. Like not physically. Yeah, I mean, huh? I said physically present because he's there. He's just not like a right, right. You know, we don't have the same setup. Yeah. And uh, then later in the Old Testament, God seems very distant. I mean, now it's all about the rules, and it's all about the kings and the leaders and. And God speaks more to uh, more through prophets than directly, and so you see this sort of phase three, which is this prophetic period or this period when it's all prophets communicating God's mind and 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 God's displeasure or God's uh, expectations, and and then eventually comes the New Testament, and in the New Testament God speaks again, only this time. God sort of melds the old original phase one God with the phase three God, which is the prophet. So he sends a man who's God. Yeah. And so Jesus is like a prophet in the fact that he's this flesh and blood person who's in your presence representing God, but he's God. And therefore it's like phase one of the old Testament and phase two of the new Testament. And what does he take on as his primary task while he's living? I said phase two, but I meant phase three. So what's he take on? He takes on phase two, right? So, so it's God in the flesh, in their presence, God looking like the prophets of old. And, uh, and yet, it's also God interpreting the law of Moses in a manner that says, this is the heart of it. And all the while, the people are, well, all over the place. And then under the new covenant, you have this peculiar thing that happens, and it has everything to do with how the relationship with God changes. Because under the new covenant, we go back to phase one, in a spiritual way, because, because now God is present to us in the form of the Holy Spirit, and because of Jesus' act of sacrifice, he 
returns us back into that intimate relationship with God that Adam and Eve knew. And so discipleship then, in the Christian sense, involves following Jesus, but also embracing the intimate relationship with God that is only possible with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in that respect, discipleship in Christianity is very unique and very different from any other kind of discipleship because it supposes or presumes that we have a personal connection with the invisible God that's behind it all. And so we follow Jesus' earthly example, but we also take advantage of the connection that he created between us and our creator that was broken because of sin. Yeah, I jive with that. So how's that for heavy theological thought? You know, so Christian discipleship then is unique because you say it, I've been talking, you you know, what are the, so what are the unique imperatives of Christian discipleship now? So I heard you say that we have the Holy Spirit, so we have a dimension, which seems unique. Uh Uh-huh. Like that was what you said, and I'm still going with the love thing. Okay. Do I need to move my face closer? It would help. Okay. Um, because I'm I'm pushing my earphones through practically to the middle of my brain here so that I can hear better. And uh how about now? Hopefully our friends aren't hearing too much screechy scratchy stuff, but Anyway, so that my phone is charged next time. So, so the 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 conclusion that we can draw then is that there is a unique communion with God. Yes, that comes from the work of Jesus in ways that are somewhat of a mystery to us, but then there is this sort of ethical living that we have that is based on the example of Jesus. And ethics in this case is not necessarily some sort of cold philosophy as much as it is we have a Christian biblical worldview that informs how we interpret events and how we choose to act towards each other, which is basically the last element that you could draw upon uh, as a uniquely Christian one, which is that we have a commitment to a life of service to God and to others. Mm-hmm. You know, so so how, how so, so what would be, um, I think to try to wrap this up, what would be the example you could give of, let's see if we can find an example of each one. So, So, uh, an example of the unique Christian discipleship that involves communion with God. What would that be? Just for the sake of continuity, we could say, like when we were talking about sacraments a couple of weeks ago. Well, that's actually what I was thinking. Like, we talked about those things being, I mean, I know, like communion and you're talking about communion with God so it sounds kind of funny but 
we talked about those things being sacraments because they're communion with God. So that was actually like, that's where my brain was going with those. Whenever we're doing something that's highly spiritual. Yeah. And for some of us, it more, it's more powerful or more profound than with others, but there is for most Christians, a sense of experiencing God, right? I mean, a lot of Christians can tell you that there were times when they felt God's presence or they felt as though God had communicated with them or they felt that, that God was influencing and affecting their lives in some way. Yeah. And and so there's a sort of, of sense that we have that we're not alone. Yeah. You know, like, which... Uh, and then Christian ethics... What what would be a few examples of Christian ethics? Well, I guess for me that like it's it really is my ethical code. But I do everything that I do in my life based on what the Bible tells me. Mm-hmm. So I like. It, I, I don't know, like, I'm trying to think of examples, but, like, really, it, it is my ethical code. So, I don't lie, steal, cheat, stuff like that, because the Bible says that's not in alignment with what God wants. And, and you know, in my job, I try to go in every day and love every student that walks in the door, because that, to me, is is following what my Jesus tells me to do. Yeah, and you don't even have to talk to the people about Jesus. You're right. just living a certain way. So a Christian Christian ethical standards aren't proselytizing. It's not it's not about going out there and telling people about Jesus. It's really just living as Jesus has lived. Well, and I don't even know that they're that they are exclusive when compared to secular ethics. But I think what happens is that a lot of people who are, you know, they're going to be kind and loving too from a secular standpoint. They don't realize that that probably a lot of it has come down to them from Christian ethics. So I don't like, I don't know. It's, I don't know that it's exclusive of secular ethics, but right. Christians are coming at it from a different standpoint. Well, I've, I've had a kind of saying for years that basically sums up what I think you might be saying is if there was something uniquely Christian, it would be to err on the side of grace. Um, yes. where, where the world might say we want to honor truth and justice and all this – a Christian would say, well, of course, we want to honor the same thing, but if we're going to make a mistake, let's make the mistake of being, uh, you know, followers of Jesus and therefore act in grace. Yeah. You know, and and that's, that's probably one very kind of overly simplified example, but... So in Christian ethics, it's it always comes back to what would Jesus do, you know? Yeah. Which was a nice way to put it until that became cliche, but it is kind of the same thing. It's just, 
And, and the only way you could really know what Jesus would do is to really study his life and his teaching and, uh, and embrace his spirit. And in that way, you're more likely to do what Jesus would do. So, so the last thing that, that is mentioned in our study is um, Christians are people who serve God and others. So, you know, um, I still remember... And, and you were very young when this happened, but I still remember when that tsunami hit out in, in uh, all those Asian countries and hundreds of thousands of people died yeah. uh, on, on coasts for thousands and thousands of miles. I mean, it was a, it was a global catastrophe in a real sense. Mm-hmm. And Christians responded in Muslim nations by helping people. And there were people that they encountered who said, why are you doing this? And it was because the, their religions had basically informed them that in a time like this, it's every man for himself. It's take care of yours and your own. And, and here these Christians are trying to help them. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people were saying, you know, we just don't quite get why you're doing this. And it's because that's what we do. We, we serve, you know, um, and so to kind of bring it all full circle then, if we have a unique way of living, it basically comes down to the fact that we have a sense that God is with us and therefore God is watching. Mm-hmm. Not, God, not just watching, but actually with us, you know, and, and I don't think any of us really, you know, fully absorbs the meaning of that. But, but we at least agree that what we're doing, if nothing else, is in response to the very love that God gives to us. So, so in a real sense, if I try to rescue someone after disaster has struck them, I'm doing it because I was faced with the disaster and destruction of sin, and Jesus was my rescue who saved me. And so the whole idea is, is that I'm paying it forward. I'm just saying, you know, this is what Jesus does for people, and this is what Jesus wants us to do for people. And while I can't save your soul, I can help you. And maybe in my helping you, somehow I can lead you to the person who could save your soul. And and so... Uh, you know, all of that's been twisted and misrepresented over the generations, you know, where where people want to force you to become a Christian, they want to ram the religion down your throat. But at the end of the day, the uniquely Christian uh, way of living is is love and grace simply as a way of imitating the master and honoring the master. Mm-hmm. And and knowing that it isn't those things you do that win your favor with God, it's those things you do are responses to God's favor, you know. Yeah. So with that being said, and I remember before we got started, I was reading you some of the prompt questions and we didn't do any of them. <laughs> but there is one that's still sticking out, you know, in what situations... Are we most tempted to be or act like society? You know, like when we're watching the New England Patriots play or something. You know, that may be a time when at least Christians in our household get a little bit less Christian. Oh, this is totally an aside, but a group of my kids named their team the Jaguars today just to spite me. <laughs> it was hard for me to love them in that moment. Well, you know, and and so being fanatically devoted to a sports team 
is a form of discipleship, and we have to really be careful not to have false gods, right? So, yeah. so we we really we love. <laughs> Well, as Pittsburgh dad said the other day, if I've been going to church all this time, you know, why have I been going if it wasn't so the Steelers could go to the Super Bowl? I mean, so, you know, that may be, he was joking, of course, and to our listeners, I just have to say that we really, see, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and this guy on YouTube called Pittsburgh dad is is just brilliant as a sort of caricature of of a rabid Pittsburgh Steelers fan in Pittsburgh, and and I love it. It takes me back to my childhood, but he was so funny because, you know, he went to church, lit candles, and prayed, and everything else, but you know, when the Steelers didn't get any further in the playoffs, it was his contention that going to church was therefore a waste. So it's a good thing that Christian living isn't like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, well, I think that one of the hardest areas of discipleship for me is, is not having a critical spirit. Um, It's so hard not to be hard on people. Yeah. Um, even if it's only in my thought, you know, I, I mean, every time I drive my car across town, I can find a dozen reasons to get mad at other people. And they might look and see me in my car doing things that they find just as irritating. And so it's pretty arrogant to think that, that I have the right to judge others driving and, and adherence to the law of the land. And, and yet I still find myself, you know, shaking my fist at least under the dash where nobody can see it or, or or going, you moron, when I see somebody run a stop sign or something. And, and so I find that's when I get really, you know, I find myself not doing Christianity very well. But yet, if that person was up the road, pulled over and in need of help, I'd probably stop and help them. So I don't know that I, I'm certain that Jesus forgives us for not being stellar Christians, but at the same time, I really, I really wish I could do better. Yeah, I, that's probably, I mean, you know, that's an area that I struggle with too, because, um, I am really passionate about my calling and sometimes I get a burr under my saddle when other people don't seem as passionate about as me. And, and I, we have had many long conversations about that and, and I really struggle with that sometimes. And I guess that's where I end up maybe being a little bit more secular because I just get frustrated. And, but like you said, I, I also think that I'm a person who would drop what I'm doing to help that same person if they needed my help. So I'm to toe. Well, living the Christian life and, and being at different levels of spiritual maturity or Christian maturity means that we're in the constant, balancing act where we're dealing with people whose Christian maturity is greater than ours at times or less than ours at times or equal to ours at times. Um, there, are, there are moments in my pastoral ministry when people are talking about how difficult their life is or the kinds of things that frustrate them and 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 their expectations around church and all that. And, and I just kind of listen to them and I think, you know, you don't get it. And, and it isn't so much arrogance on my part or something I'd be embarrassed to say, Jesus, this is what I told the guy. You know, sometimes I'm saying to the person, or in my thought at least, 
the reason you're interpreting these events the way you are is because you're not focused on the right things. Now, that's a moment when I don't think I'm being judgmental or, or, or critical as much as I'm just analyzing the situation and having a certain understanding of Christian matters and applying it. So, so there's this real balancing act we all go through where, you know, on one hand, we're just being mean and we're frustrated. And on another hand, we're actually just applying Christianity and seeing how when it's, uh, you know, as, as my favorite rabbi says, if you want to see how the world really works, then you could do it by way of the Bible and because the Bible tells you how the world's supposed to work. And every time people get too far uh, away from biblical living, the results are pretty easy to identify, especially if you have an awareness of how things really work. So, Well, you got any more thoughts on the topic? So discipleship is, is uh, serving God and serving neighbors. It's an it's a ethical way of living, and it's a communion with God, and it's better the New Testament way than the Old Testament way. And <laughs> And uh, so we're sort of like Adam and Eve, but we're not. And, you know, but any other thoughts on the matter? No, I'm sticking with love. That's my word for the night. I think you came in with that and you end with that. And probably because there's really no simpler way to say it. Yep. Well, that's awesome. Well, Bethany, thank you very much again for being a part of this. I'm really glad we keep doing this together. Um, Me too. I think we're on to something here. And uh, so... My phone is charged. Yeah. Well, hopefully people can be patient with the quality as we learn to perfect it. People yeah. who have been listening to this podcast from the very beginning remember when it was pretty rocky. And, and I've learned a lot over time. And now I'm introducing a new element that I haven't quite mastered, but, but I'm going to keep going. So, so, uh, tell everybody bye. Well, bye. Okay. Next time. All right. (laughs) See you, sweetie. Well, that was our Faith Ask Questions segment with Bethany, and uh, I appreciate your patience and understanding as we had some funky sounds in there. I hope that it isn't too big a distraction, but rest assured that I'm going to keep working on this uh, technology part from my end, and and uh, hopefully we'll get an even cleaner sound. But I can tell you it means a lot to me to have her in this discussion, and uh, I think it probably makes it better for you. I hope so. So in Lesson 24, Discipleship, Living the Christian Life, um, some of the key phrases that we hear, some of that language of Christianity or the language of the church is words like discipleship. Um, You understand, I'm sure, that the word discipleship is derived from the same root word as discipline. And so discipleship is to take on the disciplines of a certain type of life or particular leader. And so to be a disciple of Christ is to discipline yourself to be like Christ. And so that's Christian living, and it reflects best in the way that we serve God and others. And it's a way of putting our belief into action. 
uh, there's a real sense that we belong to Christ. So if you're a disciple, you're actually submitting to this person's leadership or this, this uh, uh, in this case, our Lord Jesus. You know, we're, we, we're saying that we not only follow him, but we've given ourselves to him, that, that we've denied ourselves and actually uh, surrendered ourselves and sort of enslaved ourselves to him. And all of that's a state of mind and and uh, and in a sense that that you know he has no hold over us that uh, isn't given freely, and so we can reject him, we can ignore him, but once we've know the truth and we understand how to live, we're we're foolish to ignore him and reject him. And uh, Christian living is a life in a community of Christians. It's an understanding that we are part of a community. And I would take you back to that uh, lesson that we had on on the Trinity and the whole idea of community and Christian community. Um, We bear a cross. That is to say that we understand that sometimes the best way to serve Christ is through sacrifice. And that's because sacrifice is how he served his heavenly father, our creator, so that we could be saved. And so it's all about obedience. Um, And it's about having an inward and an outward goodness. You know, the difference between the Old Testament interpretation of things as Jesus encountered it in his time and his teaching was all about the difference between the inward and the outward. He was saying to those who had perfected outward goodness, that they had lost sight of the inward goodness, and that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So these are the things that we say about Christian discipleship. So our statement of Christian believing and living this week is, because we, the church, believe a distinctive way of living is demanded of the followers of Jesus Christ, I dedicate myself to being a disciple of whom my Lord will never be ashamed. And let it be so. Amen. Well, that about wraps it up for this week, and I hope you've been blessed. Remember that uh, you can see the writing uh, the reading assignments the bible reading assignments in the description box with this podcast and uh, here's some things for you to consider between now and next time we say the christian way of life is distinctive and so consider that persons of other faiths faiths demonstrate their love of god and neighbor through caring service to others and In other words, how is it that Christian service is different from the service that others do? Uh, People that claim to be irreligious or or agnostic or even atheists, they do good deeds too. How is our goodness and our works different? What particular guidance do you take from the Sermon on the Mount for your life? If you're a listener from uh, really any of the churches I've served, you know I've preached on the Sermon on the Mount in each context. I so believe that this is a foundational thing for us to study in church together, that in every church I've preached a series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount. So, review those uh, messages, review your notes, and of course, most importantly, read your Bible and uh, 
how does the Sermon on the Mount way of living different? And how are you living it in your life? And uh, finally, listen to this prayer from Mustafa the tailor. And consider in your occupation how Christian living might be expressed in the way that you make your living. Hear the prayer of this Mustafa. Oh God, I am Mustafa the tailor, and I work at the shop of Muhammad Ali. The whole day long I sit and pull the needle and the thread through the cloth. O God, you are the needle, and I am the thread. I am attached to you, and I follow you. And when the thread tries to slip away from the needle, it becomes tangled and must be cut so that it can be put back in the right place. O God, help me to follow you wherever you may lead me, for I am really only Mustafa the tailor, and I work at the shop of Muhammad Ali on the Great Square. As you consider that prayer... Think of your occupation, your community. Maybe write your own prayer of how your Christian living can be expressed in your work. Well, I want to thank you again for supporting this uh, uh, work of, of ministry that is from my heart to yours and as an expression of the love of the people of Shiloh United Methodist Church. If you are not part of a church community, I urge you to become part of one. I know that some don't seem like very good fits, but do it anyway. Try to find a church, even if it means experimenting a little bit. Just just visit some different churches and, and see where the Lord leads you. And, and uh, be honest with those people when you visit with them. Just tell them, you know, I'm shopping around right now now. You know, in church, we have uh, all kinds of attitudes about things like that, but we really should be very gracious and open to the fact that some people will visit our churches uh, simply because they're looking. And if they don't come back, it's not really, in, uh, you know, something we should be offended by. It just means that they're looking for a particular kind of, of spiritual and physical environment that suits them, and they'll keep looking until they find it. And thank God for His grace that there are so many options and so many entryways to a relationship with God. So be a part of a Christian fellowship. Find people to study Scripture with, to sing hymns with, to celebrate life with, to encounter God with, and most of all, to practice your Christian living. I'll tell you a little secret about church. It seems like a great idea to live a Christian discipleship way of life, but one of the safest places to practice is in a church. And so you can keep practicing in your local church until you get it right. And of course, you can practice at home too. If your Christian, if your family doesn't believe you're a Christian, then don't try to convince anyone outside of your house until you have your family convinced. That's my advice to you. My friends, I love you. I appreciate your listening. For now, God bless you and go in peace to love and serve the Lord. 